My guest today really needs no introduction. Born in Brisbane, raised up in Spring Hill, when he heard the black man's blues, it blew a fuse in his head, left his first street job when he was 16, he gave us the Oz bumper bumper with the da-da-da-da-da over the top, and we're going to remember when he was young. My guest here today on Harmonica Riffraff is Matt Taylor from Chain. Welcome, Matt. Oh, it's great to be on the show. Thank you. Matt, you have influenced many of my vintage to take up the harmonica. Could you give us a bit of a background to how you took up harmonica, who were your influences, and how you learnt to play? Well, um, my um, father, of all things, was a harmonica player. He played uh, in the Tramways band up in uh, Brisbane, and I never touched that. We had harmonicas all over the house. I never touched them because I thought it was just old man music. <laughs> I, I didn't want to know about it. And I became a raging Beatles fan. One day I'm, I'm looking in a magazine and I see this picture of a band that actually looks the way I feel. I hadn't even actually heard them. And of course, this was the Rolling Stones. So I go out and buy the uh, Rolling Stones album the very first day it's released. And I bring it home. And two things happen, really. Um, I'm playing the Rolling Stones. My dad walks in, stands in front of the uh, record player and looks at me and says, Matt, what's that shit? <laughs> so he wasn't impressed at all. And the other thing is I heard blues harmonica. So um, all of a sudden, I got every harmonica in the house and tried to play along. I I'd already been learning guitar. So I tried to play harmonica along with the Rolling Stones, I could not figure it out for the life of me how they were doing it, how they were getting this this sound. I, it, it still just sounded like, you know, a bit of tin with a couple of reeds in it. To the rescue uh, was an interview with Keith Ralph from the um, Yardbirds. Yardbirds. Yep. And Keith Ralph says, uh, there's only one harmonica you can play blues on. And in America, it's called a marine band. But uh, in Australia and England, it's called an Echo Super Vampa in a little blue box. And uh, it was 14 shillings and sixpence. This is before um, uh, decimal currency. And I bought one uh, virtually the next day. Uh, the only way I could teach myself to play it was to, uh, you couldn't get a harmonica brace in those days. I, I had seen uh, a picture of Bob Dylan with one, but you just could not buy them. Right. So I just got a coat hanger, <laughs> bent it all into shape, put lots of rubber bands and held the harmonica in, <laughs> and would just strum E. And I had an A harmonica. And pretty much that's how I uh, learnt to uh, play. And eventually um, uh, I heard, uh, the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, that was a gigantic influence on me. Yep. And, um, see, I heard Paul Butterfield, all the Lazy Lester, Slim Harpo, before I heard Little Walter. Mm -hmm. That's just the way that the records came into the country, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I'd already been playing about a, a year and a half before I actually heard Little Walter play. So I already had figured out my own style of playing for, you know, I, I heard that probably, you know, the greatest master of uh, blues harmonica, which was Little Walter. It's, uh, I, I feel that I can, from my listening to Lazy Lester, I can hear a bit of Lazy Lester in what you do. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. In your technique. Well, I bought this album called Authentic R&B, and it was virtually all the songs that had been hits like uh, King B, Got Love If You Want It, Hip Shake, and it had all of these great songs that the English bands had had hits with. Mm. And, and, wh- and what was great about it, it was fairly simple way of playing, and, and it just uh, suited me. And uh, you could... and. All the records were actually in tune too, which helped a little, <laughs> little bit. And uh, so I'd just play along with uh, Lazy Lester and Slim Harpo and pretty much got most of that stuff off very quickly. Uh, it, you know, like uh, I've been playing a guitar for um, close to 45 years or so now, and I'm still not much of a guitarist. But virtually I just picked up the harmonica and... It must have been just in my genes. Um, virtually, I could just play it. And and um, I don't know if you... Someone actually once told me that... And, and I know it with Phil Manning, who's a great guitarist, and he said, I've picked up the harmonica and tried to play it a hundred times. I just cannot... You know, I just can't get the feel for it. What, what on earth is going on? So you've either got the feel for a harmonica or you haven't. That's for sure. Some play it very well and some don't play it as well. Well, they make a bit of noise. Uh, I can remember back in the 80s, especially when Chain used to play, you know, sometimes to five or 600 uh, punters at a pub, and in a hundred of them would bring a harmonica along, mm. and they'd all be, while the band was playing, they'd be playing along with it because they couldn't hear themselves. <laughs> with Chain, you know, there's, we have a lot of breaks and a lot of dynamics, and um, every now and then we'd just stop and you'd hear this c- cacophony of about, you know, 20 harmonicas <laughs> all in different keys, <laughs> um, you know, play, playing along. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, that was good. Out of that cacophony, you know, two or three really good harmonica players could have emerged. Let's go back to Bay City Union, which was the first blues band, say, in Australia, and yeah. how you guys got together. I know Phil didn't come along straight away. Is that no, correct? No, it was much later. Hmm. I do a show called Blues to Oz Blues where I, I tell the whole story of it. I used to, I, I went down to Melbourne and bought, 
you know, all of those, you know, authentic R&B and all of these fantastic blues albums. And I went back to Brisbane, and eventually I was going to form a traditional blues band. Um, I used to go and see the Purple Hearts, who, uh, you know, the best rhythm and blues from that sort of British point of view, they were just mind-blowing. They were so good, because I loved them. I, did, I wanted to play traditional blues. I didn't really want to play what they were playing. I really hadn't met any guys who wanted to do it, you know. I sort of felt like I was a bit of an island. And then one day in Spring Hill at a fish shop where I, you know, I'd hang out with, the, you know, the, the, the bikers and they they had a, a jukebox that only had 50s music on, Jerry Lee Lewis and Buddy Holly. And I loved it. <laughs> and no, and they'd never let anyone change it. So one day this guy walks in, he's uh, got yellow and black trousers on, he's got really long hair, uh, which, you know, this is uh, 1965. Yep. He has a wonderful knowledge of the blues, and his name's Paul Johnson. And I, and I said, look, you know, I've probably got the best blues collection in Brisbane. Anytime you want, come around to my place. And I said, I- I'm eventually going to form a traditional blues band he says oh, i says i've already got a band and we're just practicing he says why don't you try out with us so i said look i only want to play in a traditional blues band and he said oh no no the guys in the band if you've got the material they'll be as happy as larry to just you know play traditional blues i went and i tried out with the band i just played guitar i was the rhythm guitarist you know they they weren't all that impressed with my guitar playing and then um, i think we played got love if you want it and i played harmonica and as soon as um, they heard that because i'd been playing for nearly two years by this stage and as soon as they heard that they just looked at me and said you're in (laughs) because there weren't very many harmonica players uh, in 1965. So that's how the Bay City Union started. And the single, Maureen and... Uh, Mary, Mary. Mary, Mary, which was uh, on the Paul Butterfield album, wasn't it? That's right. That's where we got it from. Uh, In those days, uh, you couldn't pick what you wanted to uh, record. You you know, you went into the studio and you had all of these, uh, well... Was still guys with white coats on, mm. engineers, <laughs> and you'd just play, and then they'd say go home, <laughs> and then you know a few few weeks later or a few months later your record cu- comes out. So yeah, that was the only uh, record that that uh, band ever made. Um, yeah, and and it virtually uh, leads to chain really. Let's get on to the classic chain lineup. I know that sort of came a little bit, I don't know, when Wendy Sannington was in the original lineup. The classic lineup, which was together for nearly a year, I think. If you'd like to talk about how that classic lineup got together uh, towards the Blues album. Yeah. And uh, Black and Blue, obviously. Well, what happened is eventually uh, the original guitarist, a fellow named Jimmy Brelsford, and if you ever see that clip on YouTube, The House of Blue Light. It's a sort of a country swing thing by Moose Malone. Wonderful band. Yeah. That's Jimmy Brelsford's last band. Jimmy's not with us anymore. Wonderful little legacy left. Yeah. He he missed the he was the youngest in the band at that when we were in Melbourne. I'm probably eighteen or nineteen, and and you know he's barely seventeen. He misses his girlfriend, and so he goes home. 
Phil Manning joins, and Phil Manning's on the the record and everything. That goes on for a while, uh, but uh, blues at that stage had a really bad reputation for emptying dance floors and stuff like this. Eventually, all the guys in the band uh, left and, you know, joined other people, you know, like Glenn Wheatley joined the Masters Apprentices Mm. and stuff like that. Mm. It was a... Uh, eventually, Wendy Saddington forms a band called Chain from a, a band from Western Australia called uh, The Beaten Tracks. Phil Manning had just replaced a fellow named Dave Hull as yeah. the guitarist yeah. in that. They were only together for a couple of months, and then Wendy left and went and joined Jeff St. John in Sydney. But they kept the band together as Chain. All the members virtually left apart from Phil. There was a contemporary band of the Bay City Unions called the Thursday's Children. They had, well, it's quite a long story where the rhythm guitarist becomes a bass player. Now, when he was the rhythm guitarist, I thought he was pretty average. And then I saw him playing in chain, but now he's playing bass and he was just the best bass player I had ever seen. He was just incredible. Wendy comes back from Sydney and puts a blues night on at the uh, Thumping Tum and she rings me up and says, Matt, I want you to do the early part of the show. You do real blues and then I'll come on and do soul stuff and finish the night off. And uh, we did this for uh, quite a few weeks and and it it worked really well. We formed a band called Genesis, all the alternative guys. And it was nearly all original um, because... the, the time I'd spent out of work, uh, I uh, wrote a lot of songs. So uh, uh, we call the band Genesis, and, and we're going quite well. Uh, I'd met this young kid um, who wanted to get all the bookings, and his name was Michael Gadinsky. Eventually, I had a great guitarist, and he left, a fellow named Timmy Piper. I needed a new guitarist, and I'd heard that chain had broken up in Brisbane, so I sent Phil a telegram. I said, Phil, come down. got plenty of work. Uh, you know, the Genesis is doing really well. A few days later, I get a letter from uh, Brisbane that says, Matt, chain hasn't broken up. I'm with your old buddies from Thursday's Children, Barry Harvey and Barry Sullivan. The Gooses. Goose <laughs> yep. Um, why don't you come up and join us? I, I went to see uh, Michael Gadinsky, and I said, I've got some good news for you, Michael. I've got some bad news, too. I'm breaking Genesis up. And he goes, oh, Matt, you know, you'll be recording soon and everything like that. I said, but the good news is I'm going up to join Chain. And he said, what, you and Chain together? I said, yeah, that'll be the new Chain. And he says, only if I can be manager. Mm. He says, you make me manager of that band, and by the time you guys get back to Melbourne, you'll be the biggest band in town. I went up to uh, Brisbane, and uh, we do our first rehearsal, and at the end of the rehearsal, Bill's just sitting there playing on the guitar, and he plays... And I go... Bill, what's that riff? He says, oh, it's just something I've been playing around with. So I said, look, you guys have a cup of tea. I'm going to go over and write a whole pile of heavy words and we'll do a work song. And uh, so we virtually wrote Black and Blue the very first First practice. practice. And you performed it in that first... Uh, Yeah, we um, we would have done it on that Friday night.
bothered my back's near broke. My brow was wet and my throat's a choke. The Towards the Blues album, there's some other great tracks. I've, I've got listeners that ring in quite often and like to hear Boogie being played. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, and they play, then they play along at home. They've, they've got their uh, harmonicas at home and they'll, they'll play along with it. Oh, Sea Harp. yeah. Also, that has an interesting story about how that was written. No, well, when, when it first started, it had all of these original songs that we'd written. Apart from those first early rehearsals, we rarely ever rehearsed again because we were working too much. But even um, it, 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 while we're playing at the Red Orb in Brisbane, um, uh, because we needed to fill in two hours, and we put an hour's worth of songs, so we had to make up an hour. So i just say, Phil, do a boogie. I'll just make up the words. And that's pretty much what a boogie is. Uh, never rehearsed, uh, just uh, played on stage. It has the most intricate arrangements in it, but... Uh, they all were just natural arrangements from uh, blowing on it. Yep. Uh, so things certainly like Blow in D are exactly the same. In fact, Blow in D, we're on our way to a gig, and Phil says, I've got a new riff. And I said, what key's it in? He said, D. I said, we'll do it third song. None of us in the band had even heard the riff. We did it third song. Fantastic. You know, yep. and, um, that, well, that's how good Chain was. Uh <laughs> They were amazing musicians. I was an, an okay musician when I joined them, but by the time I left them, you know, by the time they broke up, you know, I'd, I'd just gone up 20 notches as a musician. You, you just had to learn on the job and learn quick with that band. Yep. There's a bit of hoochie involved as well, is that right? It, with who? A bit of hoochie. Oh, yeah. I had never been a heavy um, smoker. Uh, until um, that band, they were, were stoned all the time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was stoned half the time. Certainly, uh, toward the blues, um, those really slow feels that we do on it, uh, you'd have to be uh, under the influence <laughs> of something. Might have to give them a gold record back. At <laughs> no, no way. Now, look, my favourite track is Judgment. Yeah. So, Black and Blue wasn't well i didn't really hear it to start off with a friend had it and then when i heard judgment on the radio and it was a real sort of harmonica driven song yeah that that really got me i I just for the listeners sort of a vamping that you do at the start and that little riff you do if you could explain a little bit about that judgment was uh, another one because blondie is on the other side of the single and the band had actually broken up by the time Judgment uh, came out. That's why, um, you know, it, it didn't really do as well as Black and Blue. Did pretty well here in Melbourne, though. It was, I think, number two on the 3XY yeah, it charts. about number two, yeah. Yeah. So, um, we, it's, it's one of the few songs that we, uh, of the old hits that we don't do. Yes, yes, that was one of my other questions. Why? Yeah, uh, well, basically, um, uh, it's in A. Yep. And it's in the, the highest register of A. I can sing it, but if I sing it too, too much, um, I just, uh, my voice goes. We've tried, tried it in G. Yes. Which I like to do, but the, the guys in the band don't like playing it in. 
but I do a solo version of it in E. <laughs> right. And with judgment, uh, it, it is quite funny, isn't it? That I, I, uh, it means more to me now uh, that I'm into my 60s than what it did at the time w- when I wrote it. Yep. You know, uh, heaven knows where it uh, came from. The uh, that little har- harmonica riff. I'm less into technique than I- I'm more into melodies. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the the harmonica, uh, even my, my solos. Eventually, they'll they'll fall into a melodic pattern, and I'll play around. And being the singer too, I know the melody of the song. I try and uh, make the harp and the melody of the vocals. I call them sort of counter melodies with judgment. You got da 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 da. I awoke the other night. Um, a counter melody, so that when the vocals come in, it yep. had a really nice push to 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 the melody. It's a it's a great little uh, song. <laughs> Interesting, I, I think in 1971, uh, the number one on the 3XY charts for 1971 were all Australian artists. Yep. I think uh, I'll Be Gone with Spectrum was there at the start and you knocked well, I'll it. tell you the story. Tell us the story. Is um, basically, um, uh, we record Black and Blue on the way down from uh, Brisbane. And when we get to town, uh, number one is um, uh, on the 3XY chart. Now, this is... 3XY was the top station. All the rest were involved with musical politics, you know, with big record companies and everything. But 3XY was the one that uh, everyone listened to. It was the top station. And um, when we got down there, um, I'll Be Gone was number one. We, we were always great mates with Spectrum. So um, Black and Blue gets released and uh, Spectrum had been number one for seven weeks and 
Black and Blue knocks it off and is number one for 18 or 19 weeks. Mm. I can't remember. And uh, so, you know, virtually for months and months, Black and Blue was just the number one record. And it took a little song called Eagle Rock <laughs> by um, Daddy cool. cool to knock um, Black and Blue off the top of the charts. And it was number one for 26 weeks. Now, if you add all that up, it's the only time probably in history where any chart in Australia has had Australia number one for an entire year. All right, Matt. Thanks again from Harmonica Riff Raff and 3MDR 97.1 FM. My pleasure.